Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we are back. It is July the 10th, and hopefully you guys are starting to notice ever so slight changes, improvements in the audio quality. Julie and I are finally, finally actually getting our act together in our home studio, which yes. I'm thrilled about. Indeed, me too. And we're going to be starting to uh, videotape our, you know, put it on YouTube and Facebook and whatnot, and we do the podcast every single day because some of you guys have requested that. But interestingly enough, for those of you who are interested in starting your own podcast, I strongly encourage everyone to do that. Everyone we run into, I always tell them to start their own podcast. Um, podcasting actually is outpacing um, essentially adaptation. People listening to podcasts are increasing while our people watching videos are decreasing. And the other thing that's interesting about podcasting, the demographics on podcasting is uh, much more uh, mixed in terms of male-female, whereas videos on YouTube is almost dominant men. So it's a very fascinating thing. Yeah, a lot more women. And it's also, I I read another interesting statistic about podcasting. Essentially, 34% of all people who listen to, you know, podcasts on a regular basis also drive a hybrid car. That's weird. I wonder why that is. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Hybrid cars and podcasts go together. Huh. Huh, who knew? Well, that's odd. I wonder what other strange combinations of facts there are. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why I think. If you think about it, though, it's the reason because a lot of people that you'll naturally, a lot of people naturally go, it's because hybrid cars are more expensive. But that's yeah. not really true anymore. I think the real reason is, is because a lot of people take, um, you know, pride almost in being early adapters, right? And so they're going to be early adapters to hybrid cars, though hybrid cars have been out for a long time. But other things, too, technologically mm-hmm. speaking, those are going to appeal to a certain sort of people that are, I think, knowledge-based. They're always learners. You know, they're lifetime yeah. learner types. That makes and I sense. think it all kind of falls in the same bucket. Not saying a guy that has an old pickup truck isn't going to want to listen to podcasts because you're listening to a guy that had an old pickup truck when he lived in Texas. Yeah. And we our c- handyman who drives several pickup trucks is a big podcast fan. I think you got him onto podcasts because yeah, he's always on a job, you know, listening. He used to listen to some right. horrible things. But anyway, so <laughs> we, we digress. There were a lot of um, stories that came out today that reinforce what Julie and I were uh, doing our best to also gingerly walk you guys into, which was the reality that the market's going to shift in a dramatic way. And so what we've been paying attention to, because we noticed about 60 days ago, a pretty dramatic increase in the number of BPO orders that were uh, coming in from all of the major markets in the country. And if you've not been listening to the series of podcasts that Julie and I have been doing on distressed real estate, we've done three or four. Uh, you can just go to iTunes, Stitcher, timandjulieharris.com, or whatever your favorite podcast listing device is. All the articles are there. Uh, but the moral of the story is, is that there's definitely going to be an increase in distressed real estate, though the way it's going to roll out is going to be different than the way it's rolled out in the, you know, from 07 through 09, let's say. It's going to be dramatically different. The, the manner in which the banks are going to you know, go through the foreclosure process, the manner in which the states are going to go through the foreclosure process. But here's what we're seeing all across the country. We're seeing all the earliest of early warning signs that we're definitely going to start seeing price depreciation. And I sent Julie a lot of articles today, and I think mm-hmm. Julie, the ones let's just focus on the ones that will basically yep. have that. Yeah, because we're Julie and I use this content 
um, then send to our staff reporters, and then they write articles on some of these things and use as references. But the one in particular I thought that was interesting that re- really reinforces the point was from the OC register, Orange County yeah, register. Yeah, actually two of them. Right. Okay, so this kind of goes hand in hand with our, our podcast this week where we've been doing what we might call a prequel to what is probably coming. And many might ask themselves after, you know, a week of negotiating multiple offers and trying to search for inventory for buyers who are willing to pay full list price. Why in the world are we talking about such things? Well, pay attention to this, everybody. There's two, not one, but two articles. Actually, there's there's tons of them. These are just the most interesting Uh, from the Orange County Register. And I'll read that to you. Orange County Home Price Forecast. Orange County is in Southern California, for those of you who don't know. Uh, Home price forecast to drop 5.2%, first decline in eight years. Okay, so this is from CoreLogic, who is projecting the first significant Southern California home price drop in eight years. CoreLogic's home price indexes track gains and losses on individual properties. That's a bit different than other benchmarks tied to changes in broader measurements like median or average sale prices. CoreLogic uh, forecast shows the economic fallout from the virus will catch up to its Southern California price indexes by May of 2021. Okay, so this is kind of what we've been talking about. Somewhere between the end of this year, the beginning of next year, perhaps stretching into the spring, we are going to be seeing the long-term effects. And that's exactly what you, Julie and I, yeah. you know, you and I have been telling them about. We've been predicting that there's going to be a noticeable change in the market that's going to happen sometime around this time next year. And why were we knowing what we were knowing? Well, experience, obviously. But really, the best way, as as we told you, is our canary in the coal mine, which is BPO orders. And what we're seeing are BPO order requests come in for the first time on properties where there hadn't been BPO orders. Now, this is kind of confusing, but I'll do my best to explain it. And Julie, if I screw this up, correct me, okay? So typically what happens through a foreclosure process is that a BPO is ordered. So in other words, the BPO are, are the boots on the ground. It's uh, the banks, the servicers use agents to go out there and do BPOs, you know, broker price opinions, which are essentially like elaborate CMAs. And they do those at various stages during the, the default process. Well, and lenders do that because it's more sophisticated than a, you know, uh, regular CMA, but it's less expensive than hiring an appraiser every time. And they're required as part of their servicing agreements with their investors to, you know, do these ty- this type of work for any kind of uh, aberration that happens with the borrower. And it could just be, for example, sometimes no one knows for sure different servicers have different rules, but there's a lot of reasons to believe that if your credit goes up or rather your credit goes down and you have a mortgage, they're going to order a BPO. They're going to try to find out whether there's something going on with the asset because the bank is job is to basically make sure the asset, which they, you know, are in essence partnered with you on, if, assuming you have a mortgage, mm-hmm. they're wanting to make sure that asset is not being abandoned or not being, you know, neglected. neglected. Or- so if it's, for example, if it's abandoned and you're not making the payment, um, they're going to move forward on the foreclosure process. You're giving them all kinds of green lights to move forward quicker right. on the foreclosure process versus if someone's still in the house. So again, what we're seeing and what we typically hear from some of our top BPO agents in the country is they'll start telling us that they're getting multiple, like I did a BPO on this 30 days ago, same property 60 days ago, 90 days ago. And that is a process, that is a house, a property, a mm-hmm. condo that's being pushed through the Python, right? 
and it's being essentially the outcome is going to be or the output will be it'll be in foreclosure it's going to be it is in the foreclosure process but it's going to be sold as it's going to be an reo you know real estate owned by a bank and then eventually it'll end up in the hands of the end user which will be um, a new homeowner now it might go through an investor. It might go through, you know, might just be sold in the sh- courthouse steps. Well, but, all- but let's reel this back in. The reason that you're explaining this is why do we track BPOs? It's because when you see an increase of this type of activity, it is a precursor to the market changing. And there's there's even varieties of BPOs. You know, it may start out with just your basic BPO, and then maybe the next time. They want you to also do an occupancy check while you're out there to see whether it's vacant or not. And then maybe the third time they're tracking value, is it actually going up or down compared to the comps? So this, you know, each REO, I forget how many it goes through, something like 12 different BPOs beginning to end. It's actually supposedly it's over 20. Supposedly it's over 20. Depending on how long it takes for them to get there properly. Well, did it go from, for example, did it go from someone missing payments and then then they try to do a short sale? A loan mod. And and a loan mod, right. So just depending on, so that means that when you have these accounts with these servers, there's a lot of times you're going to be doing these BPOs on the same property. Some servicers or some BPO companies don't want you doing a BPO twice on the same property. But after a while, and, and we saw this happen before, it's going to become inevitable. So That's um, right. Well, so, so let me bring this back also to the CoreLogic report. What I find interesting about this one that you sent me, because again, it's based on uh, CoreLogic, and I think Black Knight is another reporting yep. um, that's done the same thing. We originally reported the core logic prediction about three weeks ago. They had said at that point they predicted a countrywide shift by next year of a drop by 2%. Well, well guess what? By the way, today it says the U.S. index is predicted to drop by 6.6% by May 2021. That's, that's for the U.S. Yes, it, it is. Okay. And uh, let's stay in California just for a second because it's not just Orange County. L.A. County is predicted to be down 6.3% over the next year in which in what would be the biggest dip since October 2009. Orange County, 5.2% decrease. Inland Empire, 2.4% dip in the year. Biggest decline since November 2011. Um, so the interesting thing, I think, is that clearly they're tracking this stuff and they're updating it more regularly than they have before. And we're going to have to watch that. So there's another article I sent Julie that she's going to get to in a second. This was also from the OC Register. And this one is also very telling. Now, the reason, again, we told you guys a couple podcasts ago that we use certain uh, parts of the country as bellwethers. We watched Orange County for sure. Orange County is very, for the most part, the you know affluent. The average sale price in Orange County in a whole is, I imagine, it's at least eight hundred thousand. Um, and Orange County encapsulates all kinds of different varieties of homes, densely, you know, urban sort of environments, and then beach coastal properties. So it's a really fascinating area to study as far as a real estate market because it has so much variety. Um, and so here's another little in- interesting article. And uh, this one, again, came up from an obscure news source that nobody else was reporting on. But we are reporting on it because we want you to know about it. Do you have it in front of you, Jules? I do. So this is one of those cases where two things can actually be happening at the same time. It is currently true that Southern California's pending home sales have risen for eight straight weeks. Okay, well, we all know that it's starved for inventory. Well, well at the same Jules, time... Rising from zero, basically, or rising from really right. low rates from COVID. you got to keep it in perspective. Got, listeners, when, when you're listening to these statistics, make sure you're using your brains here. Rising from you know the very low rates right. from pendings from COVID times. It's yeah. like when the airlines say that their flights are up 100% well over March when there was zero. Exactly. That's pretty easy. Okay, but still, let's take that in, in mind. But at the same time, in May, 
6.85% of California mortgages were estimated to be non-current, a troubled loan category, which does include mortgages with missed payments, plus those formally in the foreclosure process. That is a 228% jump in six months, up from only 2.1%, and it's topped only by Alaska and Nevada, which are also up over 200%. Nationally, 7.76% of mortgages are non-current. That's up 103%. We're, and here, again, watch what we're tracking. That's since November. That's not since March, right? So that was growing anyway. Black Knight noted that that means 4.3 million U.S. homeowners in May were past due on their mortgages or in active foreclosure, up from 2 million in March. So there you have it. Things are absolutely changing. And, you know, I, I think that as we go through the transition, some of this will get burned off pretty quickly, you know, by buyers initially, that are anxious initially. Yeah. And then as the numbers grow, you know, it's got to shift at least towards a balanced market, if not towards a buyer's market. No, definitely. I mean, th- but that's the way it's going to happen in a lot of these markets. Mm-hmm. A lot of these, um, you know, you'll start seeing some REOs, the, you know, bank-owned properties will start hitting the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're going to see that, as Julie said, that inventory will get sold off really quick. And then it might that cycle might actually repeat itself two or three times, and everyone's going to feel confident. But what's going to happen every time is the price erosion starts to take place. That's the thing. The price erosion thing is the, the real... Um, snake in the grass when it comes to basically um, understanding the psychology that's going to be afoot. When people start worrying that they're going to buy something today that might be worth less tomorrow, they're going to be, and they're, if they're not mentally and emotionally conditioned to basically see that as okay. For example, you don't expect a car that you buy today to be worth more tomorrow, but people definitely think a house, they think it's, a, it's an entitlement almost in our country that real estate should be worth more tomorrow than it was worth today. That's just how all of us have grown up. Well, at least, you know, if we forget about the Dark ages from yeah. 07 through well, whatever. Well, I, I think that that's more, a more prevalent thought this go-around than yep. it was going into the recession because now people know, you know, they know things like you're not going to get evicted immediately. They know that you can maybe buy first if you still have a job and decent credit and then maybe short sell your house. You know, there, there's going to be more strategy, I think. And it, I, I think that one of the things that may turn the tide also away from, you know, more inventory burns off, more inventory burns off, as soon as the media starts reporting about how many foreclosures are actually happening when they get out of forbearance and when the numbers go up and the unemployment stays high, I think then the buyer collective unconscious, if you will, will decide, hmm, and on that moment when people decide to wait, that's, that's when you're going to see more for inventory. Sure. Yeah, and and then there'll be a, t- a phase after that, just like there wasn't really what would here would it have been? It'd been probably oh eight, oh nine. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, so the real crisis started. People don't know this, and and we talked about this yesterday. But the real market correction didn't start in you know late oh seven. People say the housing crisis started in oh eight. It really didn't. From a coaching perspective, it probably started realistically in oh five, then really in oh six. And what we what we remember, Julie and I weren't smart enough to know that we were seeing the end of you know and, and you know the, this big huge housing you know calamity was on the horizon. But we knew the market was changing. I mean, we'd sold real estate and we'd experienced that ourselves in our own careers, and that's how we learned how to do short sales and all the rest of it. But what we you know what we did see is the same thing we're happening. What's happening now? And what we didn't have back then was we didn't have a bunch of um, essentially intervention, if you want to call it that. And, and personally, this is where I personally get a little confused because I'm definitely a free market kind of guy, but I am all for them trying to keep people in their homes. Even if it does artificially inflate uh, home values, 
because it doesn't allow all the inventory that would have otherwise been on the market to come to market. I know I'm a hypocrite for saying that, but it's because I, you know, I personally experienced and I've seen so the the real emotional long-term damage that comes from people losing a home. And it's really, it's devastating. A lot of you guys who are in the real estate market or maybe not even in the real estate market may have experienced this or know someone who did. Well, and that was without a global pandemic and the fear of virus. If you, you know, imagine losing your house in that environment. It's yeah, pretty I know. horrible. So look, I know we're, we're telling you guys it's not certainly motivational. It's not the typical fare from a real estate coach. You guys are used to being, you know, somebody blowing John Maxwell up your skirts and thinking that somehow basically you're just going to channel the secret and all your dreams and wishes are going to come true. But look, I am all for the talking about the mindset stuff. Truthfully, it's fun and it's easy and it, you know, requires very little mental horsepower to talk about that stuff. But the truth is, is it's out of integrity for what Julie and I have pledged to all of you to always be, which are essentially the people that are going to have your backs. And please understand that we are not looking forward to this market that we're, you know, essentially, I think, have correctly predicted. We're not looking forward to it. We don't, I mean, honestly, well, I guys. wrong. Yeah, we hope we're wrong, I mean, but we know we're not. Statistically, we're not. But yeah. I hope. Coaching you, know. you guys and coaching brokers and coaching all the motions that go along with essentially a big change like this, it's really hard. It just is. It's very, you know, it's stressful. Um, and yeah, that's that's what we signed ourselves up for. And we're going to guess we're going to go through it with all you guys again, <laughs> right? You know, so bottom line is, is you can adapt. No matter what's coming next to the market, you can adapt. Whatever's happening next with, you know, the lowering of, you know, the falling of prices or just whatever's happening in politics or the pandemic, you can handle it. Um, and your job is to have the skill set that other people are willing to pay for. That's the tricky part that a lot of you guys get panicked about. So Julie and I are doing these podcasts. We've done three or four. We haven't started catching the arrows yet, but I promise you they're coming. People always like to throw crap on Julie and I, and we talk like this, and they say, oh, you guys are just dooming and glooming, trying to sell us something. Am I really? Is something for sale it's right just now? because you, know, you have an REO or short sale coaching program. Well, guess what? We did not wake up when our when we decided to be coaches and say, oh, gosh, I'd love to coach about REOs. Boy, it'd be great to teach people BPOs, right? Yeah, exactly. We did that because you guys needed it, because you asked for it, because the market was handing that to you, okay? So it's not because of that. But we are here to help you and for you to be flexible. So why are we educating you on this stuff so early is so that you can see that it's coming. And on your next listing appointment where you do a net sheet for your seller and you find that they are not walking away with a huge check or maybe they're only breaking even or possibly the only reason they're upside down is because your commission, you've got to be able to say, you know what, it's my pleasure to help you. Let me walk you through what's happening here. Let, let's, you know, strategize what's next for you instead of saying, you know, maybe it's not a good time to sell or it's not my cup of tea or whatever. You've it, got to say, yes, it'd be my pleasure to help you. Guys, listen, if you're new to Julie and I, I want you to remember, let's say you've only been listening to us since, and we picked up, a, you know, tens of thousands of listens at the beginning of March when we started telling all of our podcast listeners to look into the different various government lifelines are out there. We told you guys about the PPP. We told you guys about the enhanced unemployment, mortgage forbearances, all these different things. I know I'm sure thousands, if not tens of thousands of you or have some financial breathing room. I get thank you. I had someone call me yesterday um, and thank me. Did I tell you about this? Uh -uh. 
Yeah. Well, he texted me and I called him back. He texted yeah. with a question and I called him back. And then he said before I hung up the phone, he said, Tim, I wanted to thank you because if it wasn't for you um, and Julie, I wouldn't be – I essentially would be screwed right now. And it was like $40,000 between, yeah. you know, his wife went on an unemployment and he had, a, you know, a PPP loan that turned into a grant. So had he, and he had – they didn't have enough savings to make it through sure. the, the pandemic months. And had it been – now, how many people in the real estate industry, when mm-hmm. you and I started telling agents to use all these programs yeah. – hated on us it was incredible i know and now how could you how could you coach them to do such a thing yeah but okay here's the here's the ironic part i found this article too julie i I thought actually maybe i didn't share this one with you i didn't i shared this with janet all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna read this one to you you don't know about this one Mm -hmm. all right here's this this was from you remember jeremy brandt from 1-800 cash offer Yes. yes i know not a funny name from the past yeah um all right so he did some research this was awesome he said over 42,840 real estate related companies in the United States received paycheck protection program loans in excess of 150,000 with uh, almost 5,000 receiving over a million dollars and 282 receiving between uh, 5 million and 10 million dollars. Real estate related companies include investors, brokerages, agencies, developers, property management. Surprisingly, 800, 688 applicants listed their entities, independent contractors, self-employed or sole proprietors, given every PPP applicant at this t- at, at this level has employees other than their owner, uh, they risk the liability wealth, uh, without the protection of an LLC or corporation. The most common entity type used was a corporation. All right, so here's the thing that's interesting about this. On this list, he's listing pretty much all the largest real estate brokerages in the nation, and of, which have received, and he also lists the amount of money that they received. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason I'm telling you guys this is because some of these companies, some of these brokers were the exact same brokerages who are really pissed at Julie and I for telling their agents to do the exact same thing that they were doing. And I see some of these yeah, names. I know cool. some of these brokers and these office managers. Some of these people, because they were just conflicted or they didn't understand that, you know, office managers who are working for companies whose paycheck was actually being paid for by the PPP program, yeah. that the office manager was taking some sort of religious you know, stance against, I mean, religious in quotes, and against Julie and I saying we shouldn't be telling agents to do PPP loans all the while the owner of their brokerage was doing a PPP loan just to keep that same broker who was bad-mouthing us for telling him to do the same thing employed. I mean, this is the the crazy thing that we're going through right now in this type of era, because you're going to see a lot of people who are trying to essentially hold on to the past and hold on to what they feel is normal. They're going to refuse to adapt and to change. Julie and I do not suffer any of that. When we see something that's going to come out, we're not going to run it through a bunch of, the only filters we run it through is what's best for you guys. That's it. So like we had somebody who publicly was uh, criticizing us because of the fact that we were telling agents to do PPP loans and they thought taking a handout when you can, you know, get the money and, you know, all that type of thing. They were just, and they really thought they were on, you know, high ground with explaining all this, but they didn't understand the, essentially the legal, let alone moral obligation that the government had to basically providing those, uh, those loans to businesses. And by the way, it's going to happen again. There's no doubt in my mind that the pandemic is going to come back. It's going to start shutting parts of the country down. It's not going to be something that people are just going to, you know, brush under the carpet anymore as being a political hot button, though truthfully it does appear that that's how it's often being used. The reality of it is, is this thing is real. There's going to be more shutdowns, more slowdowns, more whatevers, and it's going to have uh, the, you know, counterbalancing effect that the government's going to be doing more PP loans, more EID loans, more this, the other thing. And we're going to be telling you guys about all that stuff. And if you missed out the first time, when Julie and I tell you to do it the second time, would you please listen? 
I mean, seriously. Well, and not just for them, but also to help their, you know, their clients, their past clients, their their leads, people. You know, I I hear about all this from our premier coaching clients, you know, that that, uh, they're talking to people who aren't sure how their business is going to go. They took the PPP money and gosh, it's so great that you told me about it, you know, but it's going to run out and I don't know what I'm going to do. And so, you know, here's the thing that I think all of this points to is you've got to stay educated on what's going on in the market with regards to mortgages and homes so that you can take care of yourself first. You know, that's why we told you about the PPP, the EIDL loan, the SBA stuff, and then of course be able to help maximum people in your marketplace. So not knowing about this really is kind of like malpractice to me. And guys, just to be clear, the list of brokerages that Jeremy- It's huge, that was a lot of research. It, yeah, it is huge. He did. He actually included a link to his spreadsheet. I don't know if you, wow. you haven't seen that. Yeah, but that I have no problem whatsoever with those brokers uh, getting that money from the SBA. Yeah, I think that was smart. They did the right thing. That was smart business people right mm-hmm. there. So moving forward, why are we really, why are we sort of circling around all the same content? Because a lot of people, and I want you guys to notice this, be smart. When we start talking more about the distressed end of things that is inevitably going to come back, notice how people react to us and have our backs when they do, because they will, and we're going to do it oftentimes at our own peril. Just like we have your backs. That's right. So that's the deal we want to make. And what happens if you don't listen to us? Okay, here, let's go about, let's counterbalance this. Julie and I are wrong. There is no big market correction next year, which, by the way, there's zero chance that's going to be the case. But let's just say we're wrong. And let's say all these other people are wrong and there is no noticeable market correction next year. So what? You've been overprepared. You are now more skilled, better educated than you were in the first place to handle whatever changes may have taken place that may not be as severe as a real meaningful market correction. Is that such a bad thing? That didn't sound bad to me. No, that's called plan for the worst, hope for the best. That's right. (laughs) That's okay. So listen, guys, we do have a coaching program. We do want you to seriously consider joining the coaching program as the coaching program is going to keep you way ahead of the curve on all of this stuff. We have a uh, very you know robust short sale REO and BPO um, you know aspects of part of those programs and the ones in particular we have RSD which is real estate uh, you know the REO uh, designation we have the short sale designation all these designations you get for free as far as the, as part of the premier coaching program and these are things that are recognized by you know services or lenders and it's something that basically you we you have to pass a test before you can you know, say you're an RSD, for right. example, or you say you're an ASD, for example. No, but this yeah. is real training. I wanted, I forgot to mention on yesterday's call, the BPO section, Coach Rochelle, who runs that, just did nine new videos. So you're awesome. getting, you know, a step-by-step education because, you know, it can be intimidating, your first BPO, and you look at the order, you're like, how am I supposed to do this? Well, we walk you through step-by-step. It's, you know, once you've done them, it becomes a lot more simple. But she just did a, a new update yesterday of that. So, Do you remember, awesome. Julie, do you remember when we started um, when we started doing the short sale training? Mm-hmm. Do you remember how, uh, it, I remember the first time we did a big short sale call, there were probably 600 <laughs> people on yep. the webinar. And I remember that the question, the number one question we had, which was hilarious, is what is a short sale? I know. You know, and I, I, here we are talking about all this stuff, and I'm assuming all these guys know, and I know oh, that they true. don't. So just to basically encapsulate it, a short sale is where the bank will allow the house to be sold for at where the bank is taking a loss on the property. And if yeah. done if done correctly, that you can have, you know, if done correctly, the seller will not have, you know, they can obviously avoid a foreclosure and the hit to their credit isn't that bad. And in some cases, believe it or not, they can buy within six months after having done a short sale. If done incorrectly, their credit is ruined, the short sale never happens. 
you know, you, essentially the house will be first into foreclosure, which, you know, there's all kinds of mistakes that can be made if you're not mm-hmm. properly trained. So the moral of the story is, is you do not want to be stuck in a situation. This is what Julie and I keep on hinting towards, because this is when most people actually decide to take action, learning what they should have already learned, is when they're, you know, essentially facing down the, you know, the, the grizzly bear that you yeah. should have been prepared for with your grizzly bear spray and maybe your, you know, <laughs> your shotgun, yep. but whatever you go after a grizzly. I think the best thing to do under when you go after, you know, grizzly bear is just curl up and die, basically. So say, <laughs> exactly. Use your bear away spray. Use your bear away spray. <laughs> yeah, or run. <laughs> But, okay, so it's because we don't want you to be preparing for a listing appointment, doing your CMA, uh, doing the math on it, knowing what the seller owes, knowing what the market says the house is worth, and then realizing there's a good chance. And, by the way, you should always know what the seller owes. And you should always do a, a yes. you know, a, a, a net sheet prior to going to the appointment. But then realizing that the seller's upside down and realizing there's no way the seller's not upside down. What are you yeah. going to do? I'll tell you what most agents will do. They're going to go there. They're first, they're going to deny that they, you know, know what they know. They're going to just deny, deny, deny. They'll also be tempted to overprice it. On, and that's the what they're going to do. They're yep. going to overprice it and then it's not going to sell mm-hmm. because the market won't pay it. The seller won't, you know, under you, the the original listing agent who kind of, you know, lied to get the listing won't then have the skill set to get the price down. They won't know how to explain to the seller how to do a short sale. And then that seller is basically going to be having missed most likely uh, payments. And then we'll be that much closer to a foreclosure. So do you guys see the point of understanding how to solve people's problems uh, professionally now opposed to trying to learn on the job? Do you understand why it's important that you get ahead of this market? Because here's the counterbalance to this. And this is a lot of our coaching clients' experience. You're going to go on a listing appointment. You're going to know that seller's upside down. You're going to probably be competing with, you know, slime ball agent who just told the seller an inflated price to try to get the listing. Mm-hmm. You're going to show the seller that what you're telling them this is the truth about the price. You're going to, you know, have done a professional CMA, which we show, show you how to do. And then you're going to explain to them how they can do a short payoff, which is not a short sale, or they can do a short sale. And you're going to then walk them through the whole entire process, how it works. And imagine how much more confident that's going to make you. All right, so we just got interrupted, but now we're back. So what I was trying to explain to all of you guys is the confidence that comes from knowing how to solve a bunch of different people's problems is a type of confidence that's going to change your life. Um, And you're going to feel so much more, frankly, proud of yourself because you know there's going to be very rarely a situation where you're not going to be able to help somebody solve a problem. And that problem is going to obviously be being in an underwater house. Uh, we yeah. focus primarily on working on the seller side of things because, frankly, working with buyers in this market um, is easy. It, it always is easy in the sense that, you know, you never have to look for buyers. But in a market like what we're entering into, the buyers are going to come out of the woodwork as well. They always do. No matter what is going on with interest rates, no matter what's going on with anything in the world, there always are buyers for homes provided the houses are priced correctly. And that's the beauty, by the way, of short sales. By the way, that's the beauty of owning or listing distressed property, too, is you have something that, generally speaking, is going to be priced correctly. Um, so these well, are all... Yes. You know, a lot of these agents don't know, and this is why they freak out and overprice sometimes in these situations that are a little bit short. Guess what, guys? When you do a short sale, your commission is paid by the bank, okay? they We forget that they don't know some of these things, yeah, right? I know. And so you have a motivated seller, which we all love. If you have to choose sellers, we want them motivated because, you know, they'll do what you ask them to do. They'll price it in such a way it'll sell so you can solve their problem. And when you're selling REOs, you also have a motivated seller who is the bank, okay? And you also have your commission protected. So these are all good things. I I think sometimes agents that have not dealt with that before and they look at the numbers 
especially as the market's changing and they and the seller's not severely upside down. That's where I mean I've already had conversations in Premier where people are like one price reduction away from it being short, and then they let it sit and it racks up days on the market because they're afraid to have that conversation. Well, again, and that's the this is the bridge. Yeah. I mean, this is the hard part. That is we're, the hard part. We're 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 entering into collectively in the real estate industry right now is the hard part. Unless you've been in one of these markets that it's been in a you know very defined buyer's market for quite a while, Manhattan, you know, a lot of the East Coast. Yeah. You you're going to go through, uh, and you can cause really, guys, the pain that you feel through as we're all crossing this bridge together. How long it takes for you to cross that bridge? It's really 100 percent dependent on you. If you're one of these people that basically wants to start, you know, ebb and flow, start and stop, well, let's wait and see if Tim and Julie are right. You know, it won't happen in my market. Mm-hmm. The prices will never fall. Though This is never going to happen. There's never blah, 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 blah. If you're one of those people, it's going to take you a long damn time to cross that bridge. And by the time you get to the other side of the bridge, you're going to realize that so many other people have crossed before you and are already basically way further, you know, along the path, further up the path than you because you tried so desperately to disbelieve that your market was changing. What's the point of thinking and acting like that? Well, and you know they're going to do that. They're going to have a lot of confirmation bias because they're going to say, well, you know, my last three deals, they sold right away. So it's not happening here, not happening here. Haven't seen it, you know, until it does. And you have one, and that'll be your outlier, and you'll say, "Well, that was just a unique situation." So a lot of people, so, a lot of people yeah. think that essentially this change happens slowly, and mm-hmm. the most meaningful change always happens what feels like an instant, and then time passes, and you look back on it, and you realize that essentially canary it, in the coal mine, it was happening, and yeah. you just weren't paying attention. And you, the reason maybe you weren't paying attention is because, frankly, you weren't educated enough to know what to pay attention to. That's, these are the types of things mm-hmm. that happen. Like when people say the housing correction crash started in 09, I promise you it didn't. It started three or four years before that. When they say, for example, well, yeah. how could we have known about the pandemic? Guys, there's been you know some sort of COVID mm-hmm. that's creeped up in you know China. And Julie, did you read that there's some like bubonic plague or yes, something? Yes, I did. Yeah. I, I mean, coming out, out of China too, wasn't it? Yep. I mean, good Lord. I mean, so that'll, have you guys heard that? Do you guys even know what the bubonic plague is? Maybe you should, you know, Google that and find out what that is because supposedly that's boiling up again, not trying to freak you out, not trying to be doomy and gloomy, making a point. Many of you are just, you essentially are, you know, you're stuck in your own golden cages and you don't pay attention to what's going on much outside of your golden cage. And then all of a sudden, you know, we now have a new pandemic. We have some new crisis and everyone's saying, where the hell did that come from? Well, it's been there for a long time. It just wasn't a headline on CNN or Fox, you know. And so as a result of that, people don't pay attention to it. As a business owner, hell, guys, it's just someone who's going to hopefully be, you know, self-reliant. You have to be minding your own store. And in order, in order to do that, you got to be really careful about who you listen to. And the real estate industry is the absolute worst about protecting agents. It's That's the true. worst. Um, you guys, look, I just, you know, the irony of so many of these brokerages basically that who are telling agents not to do PPP loans all the while they were doing them themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's exactly like what's going to happen yeah. this go around. You know, and, and so get ahead of it. Be well, realistic. Be, be a BPO agent. You'll know what's going on. Yeah, exactly. You know, you have to have your own gauge. So, so like when you're driving your car or your truck to your next appointment, is somebody calling to tell you that you need to go get gas or are you monitoring your own situation? You've got to watch your own stuff here. And that means be a BPO agent. Well, at the very least, it's going to give you an, an edge on the rest of the market. It's sort of like you should not see well, it's that. it's taking as, your temperature. It's washing the gas tank. What's going right. on? You guys should absolutely all be doing that. It's, it should be required. You should not see that as an option or something you're thinking about. You just have to do it. Yeah. Because it's going to give you an amazing opportunity to know what's happening next in the market. 
Um, and then obviously it's going to get you a foot in the door with a lot of the companies then we'll be able to sign you REOs. So what we're going to start talking about, not every single podcast, obviously, but we're going to start giving you more and more factual information um, to reinforce the idea that the market is going to change. But when it changes, and my point being that the biggest changes always happen in what, you know, period that people feel very protracted, like, oh my gosh, one day it was this, the next day it was that. <laughs> like here, here's another, for example, the pandemic. People were talking about the pandemic all the way back of November of 2019. But here it is. What was it, the beginning of March? Julie's birthday, practically the 12th mm-hmm. and the 13th, right? All of a sudden, the pandemic and everything was everyone was taking it seriously. And people were like, where the hell did that come from? Well, there yeah. were people that were talking about the pandemic globally, you know, months prior to that, or rather, they were talking about COVID uh, for months prior to that. But just people here weren't paying attention to it. You guys get the point? And so, boom, it's too late. Everyone's shutting down. No one's prepared. Had you known that the pandemic was coming, and I'm going to round the bend today unless you got something else you want to talk nope, about. you're good. But had you known the pandemic was going to happen, I want you guys to seriously think about this. In November of 2019, if you knew by, you know, essentially five months later, we are going to be living through a pandemic with global shutdowns and, you know, on the heels of a, you know, who knows what, depression and blah, 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 all these, you know, gloomy and doomy headlines. If you knew that was going to happen five months prior in November, you know, maybe even six months prior, what would you have done differently? And the answer is not buy more toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe one answer might be that. But uh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, <laughs> but seriously. But what would you have done differently? I want you guys to seriously answer that question. Had you known the pandemic was going to happen at, say, the beginning of fourth quarter in 2019, what would you have been doing differently in preparation come March? No, seriously. Don't just sit there and say and laugh at Julie's joke. Think about what else you would have done differently. What would you have not done? There's a fun question. Yeah. What would you have not done? What would you have not basically wasted your time and your money on? Right? And here's really the ultimate question. What do you wish you would have done? Right? What, what would you have done to be prepared? But now what would you have specifically have done? You, I know what you guys are all saying. Here's what you're saying. You're saying, yes, I would have bought more toilet paper. Mm-hmm. You're probably also saying, yes, you would have prepared your family more. But I guarantee you all of you are saying you wish you would have prepared yourselves financially more. Right? course. Yep. Had it not been for the government bailing you out through all, and hopefully you took advantage of these programs as you know, you should have, and you will maybe have the opportunity to do again. Had the government not bailed all of you guys out, what would have happened to you and your families? How much money did you have saved? Most people have $400 saved. Most people have no months of retirement. Most people's savings comes from the idea that they can borrow against their HELOCs or they can borrow against you know, who knows what? That's where most people's savings is. It's not in cash, which is amazing. Now, here's a little fun fact. Wells Fargo secretly, quietly, privately made it so that, and I know some of you won't be able to relate to this, and I get it. And, and you know, Julie and I sold normal price houses too, but here's an interesting little tidbit. If you have a Morgan, a million dollar, you know, house or a house that's got a million dollars of equity in it you, and you want to refinance it, right? You, let's say you just want to refinance it into a new mortgage and it's a non-conforming jumbo loan. In other words, you know, it's above Fannie, Freddie Mae, you know, whatever, whatever. You have to have a million dollars in assets on deposit with Wells Fargo for them to give you a million dollar loan on an asset you already own. I want you to think about that for a second. Now, if that is not a exact, um, you know, if that doesn't scare some of you, oh, Tim, what are you talking about? I live in Columbus, Ohio. My house is 300 grand. Hey, listen, they did the exact same thing to HELOCs back when um, 07, 08 rolled in. They were shutting people's HELOCs off. They made it so that people literally couldn't borrow money against the HELOC 
that they had against their house and these buyer you know these people those weren't new ones those are existing HELOCs that were right. shut down and they and you you know they had the banks once they start realizing that you know we're going to definitely have some sort of you know slowdown and the politicians can't then stop the banks from going into protection mode the first thing they're going to do is they're going to shut off the, the flow of money they did it before they're starting to do it again they did it what 60 days ago do you guys remember that when they started doing all those or, uh, overlays on mortgages they're going to do it oh, again so if you want to know what's going on in the market watch what the lenders are doing because they have entire departments that are risk management guys that study this all the time and they say oh no no no, it's getting too risky we're going to pull back and so the, here's the funny thing the bank said the wells fargo said well we just have so much demand mm-hmm. for mortgages that we just wanted to slow down the demand but the reality of it was you've never known lenders to do that i know it's bullshit right. but the reality of yeah. it is is Whatever. they basically decided to make it so that they would have uh, less risk. So if That's somebody it. with a million dollar house wants to refinance, what they're doing is they're taking their financial liability, the house that might depreciate, and they're basically passing that potential grenade with a pin pulled off to the bank. So if you have a you know a million dollar house, let's say it's worth one point two million, and hey, I got you know twenty percent equity, I'm good. Give me a million dollars against that house, and you the bank would have said, sure, here it is, you know, and then here's your million dollars, and okay, you've got your you've taken risk off the table and passed it off to the bank because then if basically you know six months, twelve months later the house is worth what you owe on it, and maybe it's depreciated, and you then bail on it, you keep that million dollars, you keep that money. Right. And that's what people did last time. It was called buy and bail. <laughs> okay. And there's going to be more of that. You know, it's going on now too because rates are so low. I mean, refinances are up like I don't know, two thousand percent or something. Yeah. So the, this is these are the dominoes that we've all lived through that ninety nine percent of you haven't that we know are going to fall. And I think though, truthfully, they're going to fall a hell of a lot slower than they did before. I think but so too. what's going to happen is people are just going to wake up and say, "Oh my gosh, how are we in this different housing market?" That's what's going to happen. That's going to surprise a lot of folks. But what's going to happen? But the government, the politicians, um, you know, essentially the control mechanisms that are now in place are not going to allow anything other than a slow, I think somewhat orderly unraveling of the mortgage markets. And you're going to see forbearances being used more. You're going to see the states politically essentially not allowing foreclosures to happen. What was that article title you sent me? uh, How to avoid another big housing crash lenders need to mitigate not litigate was right. the headline so right. i think we'll see some of that you know i think a lot of it will be unavoidable because of unemployment but i think that it'll be stretched out definitely further and i i think different markets will be hit differently as well so, so you're saying to yourself some people would say well that's a good thing right not really because what that's going to do it's going to keep um it's going to make the a real estate correction whatever form that will be and however severe it will be who knows but it's going to make it last longer. So yeah. whenever there's all this intervention, what it happens is it, it creates a false market where you could essentially be buying a house, let's say, on a street, and and you know maybe no foreclosure notices or default notices were filed on the half the houses where the people aren't making payments. That happened in Las Vegas. That happened in California. There were a lot of people that were tracking the for, the bank foreclosure activity, specifically in California last go around and what the banks weren't doing is filing their notices of default so people were missing three and four payments but they the banks weren't filing notices of defaults why weren't they doing it the theory was the banks weren't doing it because if they filed the notices of default then on their balance sheet they have to call it a non-performing uh, asset which then you know essentially made it the bank look that much closer to being insolvent right so, so every time they put somebody into official foreclosure that's less money that they are allowed to lend out which means that they 
you know, delay it as long as possible reporting wise. That's Why right. wouldn't you? Yes. You want to keep making loans. Now, we are going to tell you about all this stuff and we don't want you to uh, be fearful. We don't want you to overreact. We don't want you to, um, you know, have anything other than this prevailing thought. No matter what direction the market goes, you can thrive. And I realize that it's going to require a lot of learning, maybe a lot more learning than you can possibly imagine, but it is going to be necessary because so few people will do it. By people, I mean real estate agents. We'll actually take the effort to become masters of this new market. You'll discover that it's actually easier to find people to help and easier to make money because you have fewer people that have the skill sets necessary to compete in this new market. I don't say that celebrating that fact, but I just say that based on fact because that's what's going to happen. So if you're smart, you're going to start tuning into what the, what's going on and tuning out all the stuff that's essentially trying to lead you to believe that you can't kick some serious ass and whatever comes next as far as a changing market. Any closing thoughts, my well, dear? I did have the thought earlier today, you know, we joke about saying thank you past so-and-so for, you know, having it together. And I was kind of joking with myself that, uh, you know, thank you past Tim and Julie for knowing about short sales, REOs, BPOs, and all the rest. And I thought, you know, it's so it's kind of annoying that I, I guess before I thought I wouldn't need that again. I had I hoped and prayed that you know that we could just like put that book in the bookshelf for a while and that's just longer than history. 12, longer than longer ten than years. Longer than freaking ten to twelve right. years. Oh my goodness. So I was kind of being annoyed with thank you, Pastor Minchley, for a minute. Yeah. Because geez, you know, the, it's going to be an adventure. But to your point, you know, you've got to get into curiosity, as Howard Brenton used to say, mm-hmm. get yourself into curiosity study this because it's going to make you a better, stronger business person and a better, stronger agent or broker ultimately, because you'll know how to do more things. You know, if you, if the only way you know how to sell real estate is in a hot seller's market, I, I, you know, I know that that seems like that was a long career and all, but that really was a lot of luck. You know, that's well, not how normal markets You, you know, it's hilarious work. though. I mean, I remember when you and I were at that <laughs> Howard Brenton conference. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Julie and I are Howard Brenton stars. You guys don't know who he is. Most of you. But there was, you know, at in the day, being a Howard Britton star was akin to basically having, you know, Queen Elizabeth, you know, make you a knight or make you a duchess or something, right? I mean, it was a really big deal. So there is Howard was the originator of a lot of the current, you know, zeitgeist about teams and marketing and branding. And that so just to put that in perspective, all of the stuff that Howard Brenton was teaching went all the way back into the early 90s when Julie and I discovered him. And, you know, everything that came after that, including uh, the, you know, Keller Williams books and all the stuff that you guys think were the originators of all this thought. No, it all came from Howard Britton. Every single, every single bit of that originated with Howard Britton star power. Mm-hmm. All right. So I remember being at one of these conferences and Julie and I were one of the, at the time, probably only 60 or 70 stars. And maybe it was only 40. I don't remember, right? Yeah, I yeah, honestly don't I remember. Uh, we were really the youngest know. ones at the time. I do remember that. We were in mm-hmm. our 20s. And I remember walking to, in the back of these big halls, these conference rooms were, I mean, you know, 2,000 people. Howard would have um, these tables set up. And the tables were set up so agents could show off all, all their marketing and branding. Remember I told you guys, none of these things that you guys think are new are new. And all this marketing and branding and people were putting out all this fancy crap. And I just remember loads and loads of it. And yeah, Julie and I did it too. I mean, though our, truthfully, our stuff was never as fancy as the fanciest yeah. stuff. We always felt like we were underperforming in the you know ego marketing category because right. we never really wrapped our minds around it because it didn't generate business. It was in conflict with what our mission was which is you know, making profits so we can buy rental property. So yep. we didn't really get sucked into that too deeply. But let me tell you, there were people that were spending, I don't even know how much, oh, hundreds of thousands so of dollars per year yeah. on their marketing, right? Yes. 
And I, you know, I we were ba look back there looking at all this crap on display, and each agent would have like a little half of a maybe a six foot table, and they had these beautiful displays of all their stuff, and they weren't even selling anything. They're just is they were show off tables is all they were. Maybe good ideas to go and see what other agents were doing in other markets. I mean, that's how you could rationalize it. But I remember being back there looking at all this stuff. And I remember I was talking to, I think it was Nate Martinez or somebody else who is also a star power guy. And um, a guy named Jim Duvall. And I won't get into talking about Jim Duvall. He's passed away. But Jim Duvall, his wife was uh, is probably still alive. I don't know. Um, wonderful, wonderful people. Her name was Marianne Duvall. And they were, honest to God, billionaires. You know, not from selling real estate, but long story short, essentially, a lot of the fundamental financial training that Julie and I got and applied to our own life and what we teach you guys to do, we got from Jim Duvall because he informally took me on as a bit of a coaching client. He just sort of called me randomly, or not a coaching client, but sort of a mentor. He just sort of called me out of the blue occasionally and like, you know, I mean, how many of you get you know, cold called by a billionaire just randomly out of the blue. So I, I never knew he was going to call, but I always had questions I was going to ask him what he called. So and I will, we could talk about Jim Duvall another day, but I'll never forget. He walked to the, all these tables in the back and he looked at all this stuff and, and we were all marveling at it. Oh, did you see this? And he, he just said this. And he, he didn't say it to be a jerk or he didn't even say it to make a point. He just was maybe talking to himself because he wasn't with anybody but himself. Jeans, plaid shirt, not dressing in any way to draw attention to himself. And he goes... You can always tell when the market's really hot. Agents spend all their money. That's right. That, that may have been an exact quote, but it was exactly yeah. like that. And so so then he just turns around and walked away. And like, like and most people didn't even hear what he said, but I like thought about what he said. And mm -hmm. because I had, Julie and I had no reference, right? We hadn't been in the business long enough to know what the hell he was talking about. You know, we were like many of you. We thought all this stuff was novel and new and incredible and blah, 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 blah. But nope, Jim was saying it was just a bunch of dumbass crap that yeah. a bunch of mediocre business people do for no particular reason mm -hmm. when they've got money. And so much of that we've seen bubble back that. up again. Uh, just it comes and oh, goes. That's true. When the market is, when things are easy to sell, agents will quote try things out in hopes that they can, you know, buy their way to the next market. I think that's really true. You know, well, the branding and, and the stuff, problem is there's so much more of it with all the digital projects. I know now. It's the, crazy. The, the branding stuff, the the you know the advertising, the direct response marketing, the direct mail campaigns, the big teams. The, all this stuff that you guys maybe have never been exposed to, you know, uh, all this stuff, it all comes and goes and it all follows the market. It's so these things only pop back up when agents are flush with cash mm -hmm. and when they have no sense that the market can change. And so when you guys hear Julie and I say that stuff is silly, this is why, and yet everyone else is saying the opposite thing, buy this stuff, it's because they may not know that the stuff is silly. I'm silly, I'm saying with quotes, but they probably do, but they just don't have anything else to sell you. So that's what they're going to sell you. And when Julie and I say, you know, these things are not where you should be investing your time and your money, it's because as soon as the market changes, the agents who were spending their money on that stuff, they go away. They're out of business. They're the first to go away. They're the first to go, right. The agents that are centers of influence and past clients base, they're the ones that, you know, hold out for the longest, hoping and praying that things return to normal. But they, you know, they go down the, the hardest because they never learn and adapt. Um, and all these things are sad. We're not celebrating these things. It's painful. This is the reason that Julie and I are not looking forward to this market shift mm -hmm. because we say these things. And how many of you guys are actually listening? Let's say 15 or 18,000 of you listen to this podcast, which is normal, right? So how many of you are actually going to do something with this? How many of you are actually going to slow down and take a real hard look at how you think with regards to real estate? 
How many of you right now are listening to what Julie and I are saying and you're saying, well, intellectually that makes sense, but I'm just not ready for that message? Okay. Why? Why are you choosing to procrastinate the inevitable? So these all, what you're going to see and notice, pay attention, what you're going to see is all the companies, all these bright and shiny, you know, tech companies with all these bright and shiny ideas that came up in the last 12 years are all, most of them are going to go away. Some of them are going to go dormant, but most of them are going to go out of business. And they're going to go and they're going to fall fast. They're going to fall like dominoes. I mean, does there need to be 17 CRM companies? Hell no. Right. I mean, does there need to be another geo marketing company, even though geo marketing really doesn't work? No. Okay. I mean, does there, net, does there need to be 14,000 branding companies? You know, what is a branding company? What does that really mean? Have you guys, do you guys even know? Or are you just assuming that branding is something you have to do because everyone said for you to do it? Well, here's what branding really is. Branding is something that you spend money on in hopes that somehow it's going to, you know, basically make you have it so that consumers perceive you as having experience. Branding is something that you're sold that you need, sold that you need so that you will then basically think that somehow magically buyers and sellers will choose me over someone who has legitimate experience. As if they even pay attention to that stuff. Right. Exactly. I mean, seriously. The best branding tool there is is a sold sign. Hell yeah. Always been, always will be, sister. That's right. No doubt about it. I, you know, it's funny. I remember a conversation. And no, she's not my sister, just for the record. <laughs> yes, we are from Ohio, but yeah. no, she's not my sister. I remember a conversation we had with Rory that, you know, we, we got the sold sign thing, and he was honest one day about, you need to make sure you always put pending and in contract and then sold. He's like, that's advertising in the neighborhood. And, you know, he's right because totally. people absolutely pay attention to that stuff. And so what does that go back to? You can't have a sold sign in the neighborhood if you don't have listing skills. So that's, you know. Yep. And how many of you on. how many of you just today on the way to you know, get your pandemic pancakes or whatever you were doing today? <laughs> how many of you just today drove past a FISBO or drove past, you know, several expired or houses that are about to expire? Yeah. How many of you drove, you know, noticed uh, or even knew about the noticed defaults in your geographic area? How many of you even are paying attention to the protracting days in the market? How many of you are, guys get the point? You guys understand where we're coming from? You see how we're so very different than everybody else that's out there? This is the reason Jelena has been in this business forever, because we tell you guys the truth. We tell it to you even when it, it, frankly, it would be better for us financially not to tell you what we tell you. It would be a lot easier. It would be a lot easier. And if we were just to tell you to buy branding and do marketing and form a team, like if we just did everything else that everybody else does, it would be much easier because we would be constantly being reinforced by the same messaging that everyone else is doing. By telling you guys what we know to be the truth, we actually do it at the cost of our own profit. We do, honestly. That's the way it works. How many people listen to what Julie and I say? Maybe they like Julie. You know, maybe they marginally like me, right? So there's some qualities about us that they like, but they don't like our message. So they're not only going to reject us, they're basically going to maybe even flame us because they don't like what we're saying. It's more than one, I promise you. And it's even going to get more intensified because we're going to always tell you guys the truth. No matter what, how much, how loud people try to shout us down, we're going to tell you the truth. That is our moral obligation. And guess what then? We're hoping you replicate that and you understand that that's the only way to be in life. And then you're that way with your customers. That's right. You're that way with your family. You're that way with yourself. You're that way with other fellow real estate professionals. So you can truly be a leader. Anything else you'd like to say, Julie? Well, I mean, I think it's called integrity. Yeah, you know, right. So, and and that does have longevity, and that's better than any branding you'll ever buy. So, uh, that's my thought. So, get into curiosity, study your own market, study your own trends, know what's going on, and if you don't know how to handle something, you know where to come for help. That's why we have coaching. That's why we have the podcast. So, 
you know, don't stick your head in the sand and think it's just going to blow over. I know everything's hot and heavy right now, but that is unsustainable in the current conditions. So, you know, it's okay. We'll be here with you just like we were last go around. It's going to be fine. We we're going to keep you guys concentrated on your next step in your own three-foot world, but we're also going to help you focus on the horizon. We're not going to do one at the cost of the other. We're going to balance it out so you guys can be prepared. So there it is. If you guys need us for anything, you can text me directly at 512-758-0206. Oh, by the way, thank you for continuing to make Harris Rules, our book that came out a year and a month ago, a bestseller. And yes, the audiobook version is available. Um, I listened to it. The guy who um, the publisher hired to read it was... Fan freaking tastic! Yep. I'm so glad Julie and I didn't have to do it because he is so much better than we would have been. Was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely. unbelievable. So uh, definitely get the audiobook if you don't want to read. Uh, otherwise, get the book. It definitely, it's great. It's absolutely designed for this market. It's designed really for any market, but you know, you guys know where we're coming from. If you've been listening to us for a long time. Our heads are never in the clouds. We're always drilled down and focused. We're practical. We're tactical. We're focused on helping you always remember your highest and truest purpose on this planet is being of service to other people. And the more you wrap your arms around that, the more profit you're going to make. So if you guys need us for anything, feel free to text me directly at 512-758-0206. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day and we'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris.